door. And you're not coming out alive! <laughs> Sharon Hawkinson, and let's get talking. Today is February 28th, 2007, and I do apologize for taking so long to get this podcast out. Uh, It's been kind of a crazy week last week and the beginning of this week, and so this is the first chance I've had to sit in front of the computer to get back with everybody. We do have 14 subscribers, which I'm really pleased with. Alive! It's alive! It's alive! So we're growing slowly but surely, and hopefully we will get some more as this podcast goes on. We did get some feedback again this past week, and I'd like to thank Michelle from Illinois for supplying that feedback, and I'll get to her emails in a little bit. I think you'll find that the podcasts will have a better sound quality to them. I got a nice, nifty new mic this past weekend, which I'm really, really tickled pink about. I love it. Um, It's quite a bit bigger and heavier than my cheapy PC mic I used to use, you know, which is a good thing because, you know, I, I think something bigger and heavier sometimes produces better sound quality, so I'm very happy about that. Today, we are going to be discussing the end of part two on the Green Mile. But before we get to that, I do want to go ahead and get to our feedback that we had uh, from Michelle. And I'll just read you some excerpts of some emails that she had sent to me. Okay, she did answer a couple of the study questions that I had put up from last time. In chapter seven, we get our first glimpse of Steamboat Willie, who we come to know as Mr. Jingles. What do you suppose endeared the mouse to the guards on E block? Michelle says, For me, I enjoyed the fact that the guards were embracing Mr. Jingles. Steamboat Willie was such a little innocent in all of this, and for the guards, a symbolism of the precociousness of life. In my humble opinion, that is. Plus, the little guy was comic relief for the reader as well as the guards. That little guy really helped lighten the load in the story. Michelle and I have been communicating back and forth quite a bit over the past um, week and few days and things, and I'm really enjoying her email, and it's kind of a small world because she's from Illinois, as am I. We find out where Mr. Jingles had been staying and how he got into the prison in the first place. Things are revealed that we don't quite understand until we read further in the book. Why was this revealed now rather than later after everything was said and done? Michelle says, I love how Stephen King describes the mouse in these chapters and how well he personifies all of his actions. As I was reading the chapter, I couldn't help but smile at the whole mystery, magical feeling of it all. It really felt like something supernatural is happening here, and now, and everyone can see it. That is what I enjoy the most. The descriptions given make me heighten my awareness as though I am right in the book. So along that line of thinking, it is as though Stephen King is helping me feel what it would be like to experience premonitions through his revels of the future. 
When Stephen King discloses facts that are to come along with this eerie sense magic going on, it just lights me up. It causes me to go deeper into and enjoy the story even more. And then she gives another little feedback here. One part that stuck out for me last night was in chapter 10 at the end of the fourth paragraph when John Coffey, cool name by the way, shook his head at Paul. Just like he did in the beginning when they first met. Actually, the whole book is really wonderful, isn't it? Good choice, Sharon, for this for, for the first book. And thank you, Michelle. I definitely appreciate that. And uh, that is why I picked The Green Mile, because it is um, it actually is an easy read, a fast read. I think it is definitely one of um, Stephen King's better ones. I would definitely like to thank Michelle for writing in again this time and participating. And that goes for the rest of you. It would be great to have some more feedback and some more opinions. So please don't hesitate to write in and tell me what you think of the show, of the book, any comments that you would make, any answers to the questions I put up. Please feel free to contribute. The more we get, the better off we'll be. And the more interesting this podcast will be, because then you're not just listening to me all the time. All right, moving right along to the end of part two, we are going to discuss chapters seven through 11. And then this will take us to the end of part two, and then next time we'll start on part three, which is entitled Coffee's Hands. And once we get to part three, then the story really, really starts to move along really fast, and then we actually get into the, the meat of everything. Of course, toward the end of part two, we get into some really exciting things, which is, which is great. But part three is, for me, was really when the story started to move. I think parts one and two just kind of laid the groundwork a bit in getting us used to the characters. Okay, our first question. With chapter 7 comes the arrival of Edouard Delacroix, and I'm very much butchering this name. You will have to excuse me if anybody speaks French out there. I totally butcher it, believe me. (laughs) What was your first impression of Del? Did you come to like him as the story went on? Our first impression that we get of Del is when Percy was going after him and hitting him with the baton because... Percy accuses him of grabbing him in the in the private parts, which, you know, just totally set Percy off. And we also come to realize that Percy just does not like Dell at all. I believe I mentioned this in a previous podcast, uh, but we do come to realize that there is no love lost between Percy and Dell. And of course, there's no love lost between the other guards and Percy. And of course, Percy doesn't like Mr. Jingles and, and Dell and Mr. Jingles, you know, completely bond which we'll be talking about later on. You know, but, uh, of course, when you get to E-Block, then usually you're accused of murder and you're, you know, awaiting your execution. And so we do come to realize that Dell was actually a murderer and the crime that he, you know, committed was actually pretty gruesome. But, you know, in the end, I, I did feel sorry for him because we don't really understand the circumstances of his life before we actually meet him before he comes to the prison. And so, you know, who knows what he could have done out of desperation. I mean, I'm not saying that there is an excuse for murder, you know, because there really isn't, you know, but sometimes desperate people do desperate things and sometimes it can get quite, quite ugly. But I did, um, I did actually feel sorry for Dell, And I, I really did come to like him. He seemed to blossom when, um, when he actually met Mr. Jingles and they got to be good buddies. And of course, in the end, which um, you know, which we'll talk about later on when Dell is actually executed, I do apologize if my mic picks up my clocks. We have a couple of 
clocks here that chime on the hour and every half an hour. So if my mic picks it up, I do apologize. But I guess that is the charm of podcasting because then you can um, actually kind of see what it's like in the environment of the podcaster. So, and there goes my other one. <laughs> and as I was saying, we do come to realize that Dell gets what he deserves and more by the time he is executed. Um, I don't want to give that away in case you haven't gotten that far in the book, but suffice it to say, Dell's execution does not go well at all because of Percy. It is Percy's fault that it didn't go well. And I won't elaborate any further because I want to wait until we actually get to that part and not get ahead of things. But going back to this question, yes, I, I actually did come to like Dell despite the crime that he did commit. I felt sorry for him, and he really didn't deserve Percy on him all the time and, you know, giving him a hard time. Again, the question about why Percy wanted to work on the Green Mile arose. Have you changed your opinion as to Percy's motives when the question was asked previously? I haven't changed my opinion. I think Percy is there, number one, because he is a bully, and, you know, he has the, the connections that we talked about, and so... He wanted to get away with working in a place that would allow him to exercise this attitude of his. Of course, you know, he would take it out on the prisoners. And so, you know, he's actually in this perfect place to show power over these guys, you know, because they are condemned to die. But um, also, I think Percy was there. And I haven't changed my opinion on this either. He is definitely there because he wants to be out front when one of them is actually executed. I think especially Dell, because as I had said Percy does not like Dell, and I think it seems that he just, you know, wants to get some kind of revenge on the guy for, you know, whatever reason, and, you know, this, of course, is all in Percy's mind, because Dell really hadn't done anything to Percy, except, you know, to laugh at him when, um, you know, when he was attacked by Billy the Kid, which we'll get into a little bit later on in another podcast, because we're not quite there yet, but Percy definitely wanted to get back at Dell, you know, because Percy hates to be humiliated. But when it really came down to it, Percy definitely wants to be out front to see one actually executed. We remember that when Arlen Bitterbuck was executed, that Percy was in the room with Van Hay, who was the one who actually threw the switch for the electricity to go into the chair and into the, um, into the man sitting in Old Sparky. Percy wasn't actually right there to actually see it up close. But we all know that Percy does want to see it up close. In Chapter 8... Mr. Jingles and Dell meet for the first time and took to one another. Why do you suppose the bond between the two of them became so strong? I think we all come to realize that Mr. Jingles is an exceptional mouse. And Paul in the book said that he never wanted to portray Mr. Jingles as supernatural. But yet, you know, the, this was an exceptional mouse for his kind. He is definitely smarter than the average mouse, does things that the average mouse wouldn't do. Dell definitely recognizes that, and he takes advantage of that and, you know, really gets a kick out of when he rolls the spool. I honestly believe that the bond between humans and animals are very, very strong. I mean, I have two dogs of my own, and my golden retriever, Abby, is actually my personal, is actually my girl. <laughs> and, you know, she and I are just very, very close. And so the bond between humans and animals are just, you know, it's very unexplainable really it's just it you know it was always just there I think Mr. Jingles knew that Dell liked him and that you know Dell was safe to be around and uh, Dell of course loved uh, Mr. Jingles I mean he kind of treated him like his own little baby <laughs> if you've gotten further in the book when Mr. Jingles is actually hurt you know Dell just completely falls apart 
I, I think both of them were sort of outcasts. You could you could say that they were outcasts because with Del being condemned to die, he's definitely scorned by society. And also, not too many people actually like mice. You know, there's a lot of people that want to kill him. <laughs> Me included. I'm not a big mouse fan, <laughs> but I did like Mr. Jingles. And so both of them were just, you know, not normal members of society of their own kind. And so I think they recognized this in each other and took to one another because of it. And also they just had this rapport with each other and, you know, the friendship, the bond grew. And I, I think Mr. Jingles knew that, that he was cute. And so he really milked it for all it was worth. Some of you who are actually dog lovers will understand that because if your dog is anything like my golden... <laughs> She knows she's cute, and she will just completely milk it for all it's worth. And I really think Mr. Jingles did that, which, of course, endeared Dell to him. And, of course, anything Mr. Jingles did, Dell loved. <laughs> Percy offered to help Dell get a box for Mr. Jingles and to get some cotton batting from the dispensary, which means Percy seemed to change his attitude. Why is Percy acting this way? Do you think that Percy is biding his time before seeking some kind of revenge? Yes, I definitely do. Percy is definitely up to something. I never liked Percy from the get-go. I do not trust him at all. And reading this, yeah, I think in the back of your mind or, you know, in the foremost of your mind is he is up to something. He is definitely up to something. And we come to understand why he is acting this way because it was um, it was explained. Uh, I think it was later on in this chapter. I'm not sure. Maybe it was next chapter. Um, I don't remember now. But it was actually explained later on that Percy actually went to the warden and uh, complained about Paul and was trying to, you know, get him reprimanded or moved to another part of the prison at least, possibly even fired. The warden, uh, Hal Moores, promised him that if he quit rocking the boat, then he would actually get to be out front for Dell's execution. And so that is why we see Percy acting this way. And of course, we actually see Percy revert to his, his old attitude. Yeah, Percy is not being nice to be nice. Percy just doesn't have it in him to be genuine at all. <laughs> the only thing genuine about Percy is his hostility and his hatred. In Chapter 9, we see Mr. Jingles rule the spool for the first time, which impresses the others. Were you impressed when Mr. Jingles did this? I definitely was. I mean, we know that a mouse could actually be trained to do something like that because, you know, we've seen proof of this in the in the Green Mile, you know, if you've actually seen the movie. I was actually impressed because I haven't seen a mouse roll a spool before, except, you know, in the in the movie, of course, and, you know, reading the book here. But by then, I think we all come to understand that Mr. Jingles is exceptional even before he starts rolling the spool and before he actually meets Dell. So I think this just adds to Mr. Jingles' long list of of abilities, of, you know, abilities to impress everyone. So, yes, I was definitely very impressed. In Chapter 10, William Wharton was first mentioned in detail. We read a bit about him before he actually arrives on E-Block. Did you feel that Wharton would eventually come to be big trouble? Yes. And again, uh, before I read the book, I did see the movie, and so I kind of knew what was going to be coming you know, just reading about him in the book, it was clearly defined that, you know, this guy was definitely evil. I mean, when in the report, when it was the words were underlined, this man does not care. You know, we come to understand that, you know, Wild Bill, as he was called by the guards, Billy the Kid, as he calls himself, uh, self-proclaimed Billy the Kid, 
or Bill Wharton, William Wharton, whatever, however you want to refer to him by, you know, we, we come to understand that, you know, no matter what he does, he doesn't have anything else to lose. I mean, he is actually awaiting his own execution. And so he doesn't really care how many people he kills. We come to realize that he doesn't care who he killed, when he killed. He enjoys actually breaking the law and causing as much trouble and as much mayhem as he possibly can. So, yeah, this guy is definitely, definitely, definitely big trouble. And this is reinforced as the book goes on. I'd like to make a a mention of a couple of notes here that was in this chapter. The first one is Paul mentions how his urinary tract infection makes him feel. And also in this chapter, we come to understand that Hal's wife, Melinda, is sick with a brain tumor and is dying. I wanted to make special mention of those because these two conditions are going to pop up later on in the book. Chapter 11 deals with the arrival of Wharton. This is Billy the Kid or Wild Bill. When we first see him, he appears to be doped, but then he causes a major scene which nearly kills Dean Stanton and hurts a couple of the other guys too. It was mentioned that the guards didn't actually ask if Wharton was doped. Do you think they were a bit careless by just making this assumption? Wild Bill, and I'll probably refer to him as Wild Bill because that's how the guards referred to him by. Right away, we see that this guy is definitely an actor. (laughs) And he really knows how to play things. It was mentioned in his trial that he seemed to have some seizures. The jury didn't buy it and ended up getting his number right away. They figured that he was just faking it to either get a lighter sentence or to be found incompetent and not fit to stand trial. Wild Bill is definitely a master of deception, and he is very good at fooling people, so he definitely pulled one over on the prison guards. Sure, you know, maybe the guys could have asked for certain if he was doped up. Knowing, I guess, what they know now, they probably should have. You know, because their line of work is actually dangerous, and, you know, I mean, they're, they're working with murderers there, and sometimes they can go a bit crazy. So, you know, maybe they should have been a little bit more careful, a little bit more watchful, studious, or whatever, but... You know, I I think a lot of them have been in it so long that they kind of thought that they saw everything, I think. And so sometimes, you know, it's easy to take things for granted, you know, when when you've done something like that for so long. But then, you know, something comes up and surprises you. Sometimes you get a curveball and, you know, then it kind of brings you back to the the basics a little bit. So you could always do the, you know, the what if game and maybe things would have worked out differently, but you just, you don't really know for sure. If you would like to send any of your feedback, you can email me at sweetnightingaleus at yahoo.com. That's S-W-E-E-T-N-I-G-H-T-I-N-G-A-L-E-U-S at yahoo.com. When you email me, please include the word podcast in your subject. Then it can be filtered into my special folder so that I don't miss anything. And also to slim down the chances of it getting filtered into my spam folder as well. Our website is www dot Stephen King Book Club dot blogspot dot com. Before I tell you what we will be doing next time, I'd like to plug a couple of other podcasts that I enjoy. I'm a big Harry Potter fan. There are a lot of different Harry Potter podcasts out there, but one that I specifically, excuse me, specifically enjoy is one called Wizarding Wireless. This is done by Frank and Noel, who are two college students from Purdue. You can subscribe to their podcast by going into iTunes and punching in Wizarding Wireless. Or you can visit their website at www.wizardingpod.com. And then it has a link where you can subscribe there. 
There's also forums that you can contribute to and, and uh, offer discussion. Another podcast that I enjoy is called The Outlander Book Club. And this is done by a lady named Krista who is in Colorado. She does a book discussion of the Diana Gabaldon books in the Outlander series. Her website is www.outlanderbookclub.blogspot.com or you can pop into iTunes and punch in Outlander Book Club and subscribe that way. There is a podcast that I do that deals with the Twilight Zone. It is called the Twilight Zone Club. And my website there is www.twilightzoneclub.blogspot.com or you can get into iTunes and punch in Twilight Zone Club and subscribe that way. But that is another podcast done by me, and we take the different episodes starting with Season 1, and we'll go all the way through Season 5 and do a discussion, do one episode discussion each session. There's another podcast that I am going to be getting off the ground here pretty soon. I know I need to get a life, but I'm really enjoying this podcast thing here. (laughs) And it is another book discussion. And it's called Sharon's Bookshelf. It will be done in a similar way as the Stephen King one is, as this podcast is. But it will deal with um, other books besides Stephen King ones. And my reading tastes are very eclectic. So um, we'll actually jump into a variety of topics and different kinds of books. So my website for that one, which I just knocked up yesterday, is called Sharon's Bookshelf. And that is www.sharonsbookshelf.com. Dot blogspot.com. There's a little bit more work that I actually need to do on it, but Sharon's bookshelf is all one word, all lowercase, no apostrophe there. I will be getting this first introductory episode of that podcast out very soon, and hopefully that will be listed in iTunes very soon as well. And on that one, I'll be telling you the books that we'll discuss there. Next time, we will start on part three, which is called Coffee's Hands. I will have some study questions up, so I look forward to seeing you then. This is Sharon Hawkinson signing off for now. Wishing everybody a happy and safe week. Stay warm and happy reading. Yeah.